If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheiks are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheiks bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212. This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this April 16th, 2018 my name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth about the news of the world in this universe turned upside down. And uh, boy, is there a lot to talk about. I mean, it is just crazy how much there is to talk about. And we'll be doing uh, three hours on this edition of the World According to Zig podcast. Hour number two includes an exclusive interview that you will not want to miss blowing up further the Penn State Jerry Sandusky settlements. We speak with a guy who knows uh, with certitude that a guy who got $7 million from Penn State is utterly full of crap and is pretty sure about another one that got $8 million. So uh, make sure you stay tuned to hour number two. And then hour number three, we're going to be doing an Ask John Anything hour about The uh, scheduled Newsweek uh, cover story on Penn State that uh, I was a co-writer for, which got spiked at the very last moment, which I posted at FramingPaterno.com. This past week, I did an interview with uh, Glenn Beck about what happened at Newsweek, which you can find at FramingPaterno.com and FreeSpeechBroadcasting.com. Of course, you know my relationship with Glenn. Uh, John Ziegler. I I think he's fantastic. What What a interesting mind he has yeah interesting mind that's a nice way of putting it where glenn's like gee it's nice to visit with john a couple of times a year but any more than that (laughs) might be a little bit too much but i'll i'll talk more about that in uh, hour number three uh, of the the podcast Uh, with regard to hour number one which is generally our news hour I, i have come to believe that maybe the best way to illustrate the insanity of our news cycle is to point out things that normally would be massive news stories that barely even now make a ripple and might not even be mentioned on the podcast. I mean, I realize we're now only doing this every other week or so, but still, it's crazy. It's just, you know, it, it is flat out. It's just flat out ridiculous. That what's been going on. But even by Trump standards. So in the last week or so, we've got... Paul Ryan retiring. Speaker of the House. Speaker of the House, what, seven months before a critical midterm election, decides he's retiring. He's in the prime of his career, former vice presidential nominee, hasn't been speaker for that long, has a Republican president, a Republican House, a Republican Senate. This is the dream scenario if you're ever going to be Speaker of the House. And he's retiring. And it's a non-story for all intents and purposes. It's like a couple of hours. Ooh, wow, did you see Paul Ryan? Let's go back to whatever craziness Trump's doing. This is big, mainly because it shows, and I, I've been ridiculing my... Trump, pro-Trump friends. I don't have many friends, and but most of them are pro-Trump. And I, I keep dwindling because, you know, event, and eventually they all just stop dealing with me because of the fact that they know that I'm anti-Trump and I make them feel badly about it. I, by the way, I don't, I don't 
I go out of my way not to make them feel badly, but it's it's just a natural occurrence that they just don't like, uh, you know, being forced to think about their sellout to Donald Trump. That's another story for another day. But I've been ridiculing them over. Oh, gee, um, gee, I wonder if this is going to indicate where it's going to happen in November. Because I'm sure that if Ryan thought the Republicans were going to hold on to the House, I'm sure he'd be retiring. Yeah, right. Come on, folks. Use your brains. Now, he knows. He sees the hand running on the wall. He's a smart guy. He knows. So that was barely mentioned. Then we got the story. And this one was really barely mentioned. We have a story from uh, last week. I wrote a column about this at uh, for Mediate. You can find it at free, uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com, where um, a Trump Tower doorman was paid $30,000 by the National Enquirer because he had been told to make sure to protect a Trump Tower housekeeper because she had had a love child with Trump. Now, I don't know if this is true. He didn't know if it's true. But when you read the details, he passed a lie detector test. $30,000 is a lot of money for a story that doesn't even have direct evidence. I mean, he's not, this is not $30,000 for a woman claiming she had Donald Trump's baby. I wouldn't believe that, okay? If, if that was the story, $30,000 to the woman who had the baby, that's bullshit, okay? Because that story is way, way, way more valuable than $30,000 in a catch and kill situation as the National Enquirer was effectively an arm of the Trump campaign, Something I've been saying for a very long time, which has been proven now in spades. In fact, I've been I've been vindicated on National Enquirer in the last week or so, and I've been super vindicated on the Access Hollywood tape, uh, which I'll get to uh, shortly as well. But uh, with regard to this National Enquirer story, again, we don't know if it's true, but it is credible, and it barely made any kind of impact. Largely because it was competing with so many other things. And largely because we are completely desensitized by the other insanity that is the Trump presidency. That a love child by the president... Eh! 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 Let's move on. Can you imagine if the same circumstances were about Barack Obama? Oh my freaking God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Sean Hannity would be 24-7 with that. 24-7. Speaking of Sean Hannity... Just before we started this podcast, it was revealed that, that uh, speaking of the National Enquirer and Trump fixers, that the third client, the mysterious third client from Michael Cohen, Trump's personal lawyer, is none other than Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity, which is, it's both amazing and yet not amazing at all. And would actually explain a lot about why Sean has been so utterly, insanely in the tank for so long for Donald Trump. But this is a very now now Trump now weirdly and though, though typically Hannity is kind of denying it and yet also kind of validating it, which is a classic Trump maneuver. Because if you do both, if you deny it enough. The people that want you want to believe your denial will believe it. And if you acknowledge it enough, you can claim, well, I wasn't lying. So Hannity has learned at the, you know, the master. He's had his nose so far up Trump's butt that I guess some of it's rubbed off onto him. And uh, he, he realizes the tactics in winning this kind of a game. But if it's true, and I have no reason to believe it's not true. I mean, Cohen had to admit this in court. Then Fox News Channel has... Apps, they're not going to do this. Let's be clear. I'll be shocked if they do. But Fox News Channel has an absolute obligation to at least suspend Sean Hannity. In an ideal world, if I was in charge, God forbid, if I was in charge of Fox News Channel, boy, there'd be a lot of changes. Uh, I can assure you that. But if I was in charge, assuming that what we believed to be true is in fact true all i know is what's on the internet all right, if we if we presume that then my inclination would be to suspend hannity for not disclosing this information and commenting you can't comment on this story and not tell people oh by the way you're a client of michael cohen at least not in the world 
that I thought we were living in. I realize this is a brand new brave world. But if, if Fox News Channel wants to be remotely credible and remotely serious, and I'm not sure that they do, then what I would do is I would suspend him and then I would require him to get approval, prior approval for before speaking about this specific subject. And I would want to know, okay, what are you going to say? And are you going to disclose every single time that you're a client of Michael Cohen? And frankly, I would dissuade you from even discussing this topic. And one of the, of course, that'll never happen because one of the problems is defining the topic. This thing has grown so large now and has so many tentacles that you really, frankly, could make a, a strong argument now that Michael Cohen has had his offices raided by the uh, the effectively the attorney general's office and and also effectively by the special counsel's office you can now argue Hannity has no credibility on the entire Russian investigation now that might be unrealistic and and but that would be in a principled world that's what you would do i know we don't live in a principled world my guess is Hannity will get nothing more than maybe a slap on the wrist for not disclosing this. And in doing that, if that's how this turns out, Fox News Channel will forever, at least under this current regime, will forever be saying to the world, we are not a credible news outlet. We're not even a credible opinion outlet. We are state-run media. We are part of the Trump administration, which most of Fox News Channel has already been, but now it really will be official if Hannity is is not severely uh, punished and curtailed because of all of this. But anyway, the, the, the Trump love child thing was barely a, a, a big story. The Access Hollywood tape, which I've already referenced. Again, I wrote a column about this, which I urge you to check out at freespeechbroadcasting.com. Uh, that didn't make nearly as much news as I, as I think that it should have. And that dealt with the, the Michael Cohen raid. In fact, what was interesting to me about this, other than, than the fact that it vindicated me, which I always like, um, but I'm kind of used to that, even though I'm also used to no one mentioning it or noticing it, except mostly me. <laughs> Somebody has to, but I digress. The, the, the thing about the Access Hollywood tape is that a lot of people, especially in the conservative media, didn't understand it at all. Wait a minute. The, the Michael Cohen raid was in part about the Access Hollywood tape? Does this mean that the special counsel is now investigating Donald Trump's sex life and that they're using the tape because of what he said about grabbing pussy? No. No. God, you, you people. It's nothing to do with the content of the tape. At least not directly. It's obvious, and these are questions that I have been asking and screaming about at times for well over a year now deals with how and why that tape got released when it did. No one has ever forget about answer the question. No one's even really asked the question. How the fuck does that tape stay at NBC, which is, which is what produced and owned access Hollywood. How does NBC have possession of that tape, as Billy Bush said, was an open secret. How do they have that tape for well over a year before that gets produced and leaked? Not by them, but by the Washington Post a month before the election is over. How does that not get done during the primaries when it actually would have torpedoed Donald Trump? And I do believe that. I mean, there are a lot of people who think well, in retrospect, nothing would have destroyed Donald Trump. Bullshit. He wasn't Donald Trump then. You don't. You, you need to understand why he was indestructible once he was the nominee. Because the alternative was Hillary. That's what made Trump indestructible. Yes, he's got his Colt 45 base. I get it. But the Colt 45 base is not any... It's, I don't even think it's the majority of the Republican vote. It's probably somewhere around half. Maybe Who depends on how you define it and what day it is. But the reality is that the other half stuck with Trump because there was no alternative because it was Hillary Clinton. Well, that wouldn't have been the case 
if that tape had been made public during the primaries, especially early on in the primaries before his rocket ship took off and there was no going back. So that don't give me any of this business about, oh, the Access Hollywood tape wouldn't have had an impact. Baloney. It would have destroyed him. But more importantly to why I think law enforcement is interested in this, and I go into this in great detail in the column, which, I, again, I urge you to read, freespeechbroadcasting.com. I wrote it for Mediate. This was a very popular column, which always makes me nervous. Whenever I write something that's very popular, I think, did I blow it? I must be off, because that's, that's not my normal MO. I usually write things that aren't that popular. Uh, but this one, it was popular because I think I asked some questions and provide some answers and theories about what really happened here that no one else is. This is not really rocket scientist science, but what happened on that day when that tape was released is extraordinary. Just before the tape is released, our intelligence agencies announced that Russia was trying to influence the election, that they had come to that conclusion. That should have been massive news. It should have been what drove the narrative the rest of the campaign, last month of the campaign. Instead, crickets. Effectively nothing on that story. Why? Well, because the tape blew it out of the water. And then literally within the hour after the tape, guess what happens next? WikiLeaks starts dumping Hillary Clinton and Democratic Party emails. Now, folks, these things take time. All right? I've done lots of releases on my own. It takes preparation. You can't just do it in 35 minutes on a whim. Uh, oh, wow, you know, the, the Access Hollywood tapes come out. This will be a good time for us to, uh, to try to change the subject. Let's get this done. No, it takes time. It takes planning. And to me, this whole thing makes a hell of a lot more sense if the release of that tape is not what we assumed it was. And part of what has never made any sense to me is how the Washington Post ends up leaking that tape and not NBC. How does that happen? Especially when the Post didn't know about the tape until, wait for it, that day. That day. Folks, I know the way these things work. If you know <laughs> something's coming down the pike in the big media, something that big, they know about it way in advance because there needs to be time to plan, needs to be time to vet. They need to make sure that the source is legit. I mean, my God, the, the Newsweek story that got spiked that I was a co-writer for was five months in the making, and that never even ran. So the Washington Post finds out about this tape from an unnamed source that day. What if the reporter was out of pocket? What if the reporter that was contacted was on an airplane? This was clearly done last second, which means it was in response to something. And what was it in response to? The intelligence agencies issuing the report that Russia was trying to influence our election. Well, who had an incentive for that? The Russians had an incentive. The Trump campaign had an incentive. And by the way, speaking of the Trump campaign, and there might be a good explanation for this. I am open to coincidences, and I'm open to maybe just expert crisis management. But one of the other things about that whole scenario that never made any damn sense to me was, wait a minute. This thing breaks on a Friday afternoon before the big debate on that Sunday. People, It's amazing how people never think about timelines and they forget about how everything went down. I don't, because I have a very good memory for these things. So Friday afternoon, Access Hollywood blows up. The debate is Sunday night. The debate is in St. Louis. And somehow Steve Bannon, not exactly a high-energy guy, <laughs> slovenly as they come, you know, looks like he belongs on his couch drinking a beer. He doesn't even bother to shave most of the time. So... So Mr. High Energy Steve Bannon somehow 
is able to come up with this counterattack plan of having all of the Clinton female accusers, I think there were five of them, at least four, but I think there were five, five of them to do a top secret press conference with Trump before the debate on Sunday. Now, think about that, folks. Try getting five people who don't know each other from all parts of the country. Try getting them to St. Louis on, at most, 36 hours notice. And that's if you come up with the idea immediately. Think about the difficulty of that. Just logistically. Again, not impossible, but pretty amazing that they were able to get all of them. Now, I don't know. Did they pay them? That would have helped. Maybe they paid them, which, by the way, would have been relevant. <laughs> would have been relevant to the fact that you were being paid to be part of a of a uh, press conference before a debate. But regardless of that, to me, that smells of, wait a minute, they might have had a little bit more notice about this. Now, I'm not suggesting some massive, bizarre conspiracy. I'm suggesting that it's quite possible the Trump campaign knew or heard that NBC was finally going to drop this bomb because NBC drops it right after the Washington Post does. So they hear about this and they decide, you know what? Let's get out ahead of it. Let's do it now. Let's blow up the, the Russian story so at least this is the, the, the least bad outcome we could ask for. And here's how we're going to respond before the debate. Again, I'm not somebody who believes that the Trump people are capable of uh, eight-dimensional chess. This might not have been eight-dimensional chess. This might have just been a lot of luck, which is often how life works out. But we now have a, I think, a very different way of looking at the Access Hollywood tape based upon the fact that that was a motivator for the authorities to raid Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's personal lawyer's, not just one, but three different locations, which is, a, again, that's another story that it got a lot of play, but I think it's still being underrated. The president's personal lawyer, <laughs> personal lawyer, not only under criminal investigation, had the FBI raid three different locations because they were that concerned about evidence being destroyed. That doesn't happen unless it's big and certain. What it is exactly, I don't know. But none of this looks good. And none of the way that Trump's responding is consistent. And I've been saying this for a long time. And I've written another column about that, actually, last week, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, about how why is it that Trump is acting so guilty? I've been hesitant to come to conclusions based upon that because it's so hard to interpret Trump's actions because, one, he's an imbecile, and two, he's not really human. So you, it's very difficult to put yourself in his mindset. And it is possible, and I still think it is possible, that he simply is acting like an infant, and that's why he seems guilty, because he's not capable of controlling his emotions like a normal adult or especially a president would be able to. That's still possible. But this business of, I'm going to, you know, I'm thinking about firing Mueller. I might fire, I'm going to fire Rosenstein, uh, maybe Sessions. Why would you do that? If you were innocent, why would you even consider that? Because if you're innocent, you're president of the United States. You've got a Republican House, a Republican Senate, a Republican Supreme Court. You've got a state-run media apparatus in Fox News, the Drudge Report, and Talk Radio. So if you're innocent, you have enormous backing to fight for you. Enormous. Unprecedented. You're not going to get railroaded by a fraudulent case. So therefore, if you're innocent, you've got a Republican special counsel with a sterling reputation You've got your own attorney general. You've got your own assistant attorney general who you appointed. So why, if you're innocent, would you not just let the process play out? 
That's the only part, that's not the only part, but it's the part of this that to me makes the least sense. Because if you're innocent, you're thinking, well, eventually I'll be exonerated. Well, your best opportunity for exoneration is this one. You've got a Republican respected who the left has already invested in. See, that's the other thing. The left now is trapped on Mueller. If Mueller were to come out and say, you know what, we really looked into this and we couldn't find anything. A lot of smoke, no fire, and the president is free and clear. Guess what? The left has nothing to say now. They're done because they have put all their eggs in the Mueller basket. So if you're innocent, you got them by the balls. You got them by the balls. You got your own attorney general. You got your own assistant attorney general in charge of the special counsel. And you got a special counsel who the left now is invested in. If you're innocent, why the fuck would you ever get rid of any of them? Why? There's no logical reason. The only explanation is you're not really innocent. That's the only part of this makes any sense. And oh, by the way, among it, it's so hilarious and, and I think actually shows the phenomenon of which I'm speaking, of news stories that barely now get mentioned a couple days after they happen. Yeah, we went, we did military strikes on Syria. Everyone, anyone remember that? That was that was a big story for like an hour on Friday. I'm speaking uh, to you via this podcast on Monday afternoon, West Coast time. No one's talking about Syria. And Trump declared it mission accomplished the next day. <laughs> Move on. The, the part about the Syria thing, which I find to be amazing, is, of course, all the old tweets from Donald Trump before he was president, ripping into Barack Obama for thinking about going into Syria, telegraphing what he would do in Syria, saying it would be a horrible idea to go into Syria, and then somehow he becomes president, and what does he do? Orders military strikes into Syria. I have absolutely no idea whether or not it's the right thing to do, whether it was the right tactic, the right strategy, the right timing. I have no idea. I hate the fact, though, that I do not trust our president enough to be sure that it was done because it was the right thing and not because he was having a temper tantrum. That bugs the crap out of me. I don't know it was a, a temper tantrum, but I can't even remotely discount that possibility, especially based upon the news that was going on the day before and the day of the strikes on Syria. It certainly was consistent with a, a temper tantrum or a wag the dog scenario. Remember when conservatives hated when Bill Clinton did that? Yeah, what a bunch of fucking hypocrites conservative media types are now. Not that long later, just a couple of decades. I remember. I bet they don't. Because they, they're, they're in total rationalization mode. Total hypocrisy. Now, what is getting a lot of news, of course, is the James Comey book. And I wrote about that today. I wrote a column about his interview with George Stephanopoulos on ABC uh, Sunday night. Again, freespeechbroadcasting.com. I urge you to check that out. My uh, interpretation of Comey and his interview is somewhat nuanced, although it is more positive towards Comey than a lot of conservatives who now, I guess, feel this knee-jerk need to attack anybody who attacks Trump, which is just so pathetic. It's just so sad. I used to I used to think that conservatives were about truth and principle and calling it like it is. Now, now it's just, you know, if someone's attacking Trump, doesn't matter who they are, how credible they are, what their history is, if they're Republican or Democrat, conservative or liberal, it's just attack them. And the, some of the ways that some conservatives, some of whom I actually have a modicum of respect for, have been attacking Comey regarding has been really bizarre. Uh, like Ben Shapiro went after him for not uh, donating his the proceeds of his book to charity. What? What? Like Ben, and I, I, I tweeted at Ben, so Ben, have you ever done that? And uh, the fact that you haven't, it, that never made me think that you were lacking in credibility before. Maybe it should have. What you're telling me is that if you accept money for your book, then somehow that, that diminishes your credibility. It's ridiculous. And Ben's a smart guy and usually not that much of a hypocrite, although it's hard to defend Trump as he sometimes does for commercial purposes and not be a hypocrite from time to time. But that, that's a strange criticism. Another criticism I've, I've seen of Comey by a lot of even anti-Trump conservatives 
is holding Comey to a completely different standard of behavior and verbiage than Trump is held to. And that's just bizarre to me. But it's so typical of the Trump era, where, where Trump... Trump is, to the, to the conservative media, Trump is the kind of guy, and, and what's infuriating to me about this, other than the double standard, is how much it's like Bill Clinton. I used to say th- the same thing about Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton and Ken Starr, and there's so many hypocrites, Mark Levin being the worst of them all, on this issue of going after Mueller when they attacked Clinton for going after Ken Starr back during the Monica Lewinsky impeachment saga. But I used to say that Clinton was the kind of guy who can go into the middle of a room full of people, pull down his pants, take a dump, and people go, oh, it's so cute. Oh, it actually kind of smells nice. Uh, oh, wow, that, what, that was hilarious. Uh, what a brilliant move. That's Trump is actually worse. Tr- Trump can take the dump and sit in it, and people will go, genius. Meanwhile... Ken Starr and now James Comey is the kind of guy who can fart by accident. Everyone goes, oh my gosh, this is outrageous. Oh, the smell, it's wretched. Oh, how inappropriate. Oh my gosh, how could you possibly do such a thing? You've lost all credibility because you farted by accident. Well, Comey is not perfect. He's made a lot of mistakes. But the idea that because I, I saw this when the, the Comey book excerpt started to leak, because Comey talks in the book about how his hand is bigger than Trump's and that he and he thinks that Trump's hair is real, but takes a lot of time to prepare in the morning. This is a 300 plus page book. These are like one or two sentences in the book. And somehow that's like, oh my gosh, what, how bitchy. Whoa, this is all about vengeance. Uh, No, Uh, seriously, he's writing a book. He's trying to make it interesting. Now, does he have an ego? Absolutely, James Comey has an ego. But he has an ego that's very different than Donald Trump's. He and Trump are almost like different species. I mean, they they really are. It's not hard to understand why they did not get along. But... James Comey's ego is based in the idea that he knows he is a very moral, principled, and virtuous person. And I believe that to be true. I think James Comey is exceedingly honest, and he tries really hard to do the right thing. Interestingly, I think he fails a lot. Maybe because he thinks too much. And maybe because he's got an ego and he's a bit of a drama queen. He likes grandstanding and showing everybody how virtuous he is. One of the best parts I thought of the interview was at the very end when George Stephanopoulos uh, asked him whether or not he had fallen in love with his own virtue. And I think that Comey has fallen in love with his own virtue, something that Comey, to his credit, acknowledges as possible and that he has fought against. So Comey's not perfect. I think he blundered badly with the, uh, from every aspect of the Clinton email. I think he blundered all three times. All three times he he made public statements about him. I think it was a blunder. And uh, and I do think it impacted the election. But for Trump now, and this is such classic Trump hypocrisy, for Trump now to, to be able to pretend, and the right-wing media to never call him on this, that he did not praise Comey up and down at the end of the 2016 campaign, which he did, that he did not rehire, essentially, James Comey, which he did, uh, and, and, you know, that infamous scene now where he brings Comey up in front of everybody to shake his hand and give him a half hug and, you know, James, my man, you know, that type of bit. That didn't happen? That didn't happen? This is the same guy that Trump now is calling a lying slime ball. Why? Well, because Trump's self-interest has changed. At the time, he thought James Comey was going to play ball with him. Now, (laughs) he realizes he's a threat. And I talk about this in the column that I wrote, and this is somewhat of a criticism of Comey, because one of the things that you get from the interview with George Stephanopoulos is that Comey really did kind of soft-pedal his objections to the things that Trump was doing in their personal interactions. Now, I think he did that in part because he didn't want to get fired. Now, he's gotten some criticism for that. Uh, 
Uh, Trey Gowdy actually criticized him for that uh, today. And I thought, well, wait a minute. That's, I get the criticism, but that's not fair. It's not fair for a couple of reasons. First of all, no one likes to get fired, right? I mean, it's your dream, dream job. Why do you want to get fired? I mean, only John Ziegler really likes to get fired. Um, but I digress. The, the reality here is that uh, it's his dream job. He doesn't want to get fired. And more importantly than that, he doesn't know for sure yet. And this is maybe the most important thing you need to understand in the context of what Comey did in his interactions with Trump. You cannot evaluate those actions based upon what Comey thinks or says now. You have to evaluate those actions based upon what Comey thought at the time. And there's a difference between thinking Trump is obstructing justice and acting inappropriately and knowing it for sure, especially when it's a brand new president of the United States, because Comey had to be thinking it was possible. Maybe Trump's just, you know, he's just not very smart. Maybe he's just an imbecile. Maybe he just doesn't get how this whole thing works. And he's just an egomaniac liar. That was perfectly plausible. Until Comey got fired. And then it's like, oh, I could have had a V8. No show. Oh my God. Now I understand. Now I get what he was doing when he was asking me for loyalty. And I told him I'll give him honest loyalty. So that's the part that you need to understand with this. Would it have been better if Comey said in retrospect, Mr. President, it's totally inappropriate. I cannot give you loyalty. Uh, I am independent. Uh, the FBI must remain independent. And frankly, what you've just done uh, is potentially obstruction of justice. I guess that would have been better, except guess what would have happened? He would have been fired immediately. Because I think Trump deluded himself into thinking Comey was playing ball. And I think Comey's an analysis of Trump as a mob boss is dead on. Mob bosses talking code all the time, right? Think, I mean, think Tony Soprano. You don't come out and say it directly. It's all a wink, wink, nod, nod. And I think Trump thought he was getting the wink when he literally wasn't getting the wink. And then once he realized, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> Comey's not really on board, he fired his ass. And it was at that moment that Comey goes, oh, 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 shit. We are fucked. And so that's why I think, as one of the many reasons why I think Comey is credible. And there's also the other aspect, which Gowdy ought to understand, because everybody, in, every Republican member of Congress has probably felt the same thing, at least those that aren't flat-out cult members. And that is, there's this sense... Of, of the people who are around Trump that they need to stay in their jobs because the person that's going to replace them might be worse. So I'm willing to um, criticize Comey when he deserves it, but by and large, I think he is being truthful. And I think that his picture that he paints of Trump is unfortunately quite accurate. It's scary as hell, but I think it's quite accurate. Now, will it have any impact? No. Because we don't live in a world anymore where substance matters. Books don't matter anymore. You know, it wasn't that long ago. I don't know how what year you would want to put on it, but books used to dictate news narratives. People would you say, okay, well, wait until the book comes out before we come to our final conclusions because you can't make conclusions based upon fragments of information in a rush to judgment. We used to think that. At least we used to pretend that we thought that. Well, now, instead of books deter determining what the news narrative is, we've decided, no, it's, it's far safer and smarter to just go with tweets. Tweets ought to, ought to dictate the news narrative now. Not books, not three or 400 pages of, of detailed and vetted analysis. No, no, let's go with uh, 280 characters. That ought to tell the tale. And maybe two, two tweets if you really need to make it more complicated. That's, how, that's really how opinions ought to be cemented. And news narratives ought to be created instantaneously. It's nuts. It's it's completely nuts. It's just flat out ridiculous. But that's the world we live in. 
And I'm sure that the ratings last night, I haven't seen them yet, uh, on the ABC interview were really good. And I'm sure Comey's book will do well. But that's not, you can't make an impact that way anymore, especially with Trump. Unless and until Fox News Channel, the Drudge Report, and Talk Radio allows a narrative to take hold that's negative to Trump, that's damaging to Trump, it doesn't matter. And yes, there could be legal implications of the obstruction of justice, but I still do not see any scenario based upon what is likely for Mueller to conclude, assuming he doesn't get fired, that this results in Trump's removal from office. I just do not see it. It is quite possible Trump may, may be found to have committed numerous crimes, that the, the report by Mueller may be incredibly damning, the evidence could be overwhelming, but it won't matter. Because even if the Democrats take the House, which I think they will, and even if they take the Senate, which is pretty much a 50-50 proposition at this point, there's no way they're going to have enough votes to get two-thirds plus in the Senate to remove Trump, especially when nobody, and I keep saying this, but it bears repeating, nobody is going to have a true self-interest in removing Trump from office. The Democrats aren't, because then they get Pence. Would they rather have Pence be president than have him run for re-election? Or would they rather have a very damaged Donald Trump to beat up on? I think they'd much prefer Trump. Republicans aren't going to abandon Trump because then they're already in the minority. They're going to get pummeled by they're going to now they're going to lose their base. Because the base isn't going to leave him unless the conservative media leaves him. And the conservative media isn't going to leave him because they're completely invested. And frankly, even the mainstream news media doesn't really want Trump removed. Because do you think they want to start reporting on Mike Pence every day? Come on, people. There's nobody with an incentive for Trump to be removed. And interestingly, Comey kind of says that. He didn't say it specifically, but he... He suggests in the Stephanopoulos interview that this has to be taken care of by the people at the ballot box. Well, um, good luck, because you need a, a candidate's going to beat him. And I still don't know who that's going to be. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I don't know who the Democratic candidate is who is a sure cinch to beat him. My good friend, Democratic Congress John Yarmouth, has volunteered Joe Biden for that position as someone who would be sure to beat Trump. And I think that's true. I think that Biden probably would beat Trump, but I don't know if he's running because he's older than dirt. So that's a very risky proposition. So anyway, uh, I've written a whole bunch of columns that I want you to check out uh, at freespeechbroadcasting.com about all of this that has happened over the last uh, couple of weeks. You know, one of the other things um, about the National Enquirer column that I just remembered that I didn't mention, and I do get into this in the column, is this is so important. In some ways, it's more important than the Russian collusion theory. I actually think that it's more damaging and dangerous that Trump might be beholden to and compromised by the National Enquirer than he would be by Russia. I mean this seriously. The National Enquirer is a effectively a mob organization. It's an organized crime syndicate. And look what they did to Tiger Woods. Look what they did to Tiger Woods in 2009. And that was all done by the, the National Enquirer. And they forced him to do things, which he did, which shocked me at the time. And I, I remember thinking, how did that happen? Well, now we know how it happened because they had leverage over him because they knew of, they had proof of his affairs. They end up, I think, I'm convinced to this day that when it, the shit finally hit the fan in Thanksgiving of 2009, that was a setup. The National Enquirer, I think, colluded, to use a loaded word, colluded with his mistress, Rachel Yucatel. I think it was all set up to bring Tiger down. And it worked. It destroyed his marriage and it shattered his career. And oh, by the way, I, I told you he wasn't going to win the Masters. And he didn't come close. He's never going to win another Masters, folks. That's never going to happen. This past Masters, that was, the, that was the symbolic end of Phil Mickelson and Tiger Woods. They are never going to win another Masters. No way, no how. The course that used to set up so incredibly well for Tiger now actually sets up very poorly for him. 
because he cannot drive it straight enough. And unless he, I don't know how at 42 you're going to change your swing again uh, with a bad back uh, and do that, but it would take a miracle. Now, there are other courses he can compete on, but I don't think, you know, and, and I'm not saying he won't ever be competitive at the Masters, uh, but I don't see how he's ever going to win. The guys now are just too good, too young. There's too many of them. Oh, yeah, one, one other thing, by the way, about the Masters and about the NCAA Basketball Championship, and this has kind of become a recurring theme of, of something I'm mentioning and noticing more and more. Events that used to change lives are really having very little impact anymore. It's almost like nothing has an impact. Like the Comey interview, and I, and I just found out that the ratings were, in fact, fantastic for ABC on Sunday night. The Comey interview is not going to make that much of a difference. It's not going to tank Trump's approval ratings. It would have in the past, but not now. We're too fragmented. We're too partisan. Well, Patrick Reed, a guy who's not very popular at all, and that's part of the problem, but Patrick Reed wins the Masters, his first major championship, no buzz at all. None. I mean, it was a, a very exciting final round. Jordan Spieth made an incredible comeback, and Ricky Fowler almost won. And he, I get that it's popularity. Everything's about popularity because Reed is perceived as an asshole, and he might be an asshole. Uh, that, that doesn't help. But there was no buzz at all. I, I doubt that Patrick Reed's Q rating in the, net, in the general public shifted much at all. I doubt he'll get some golf world endorsements out of it, of course. And he's a, he's a bigger figure within golf, but not within the general population. But that used to be the case. Same way with the NCAA basketball championship. Villanova wins their second national championship in three years. And partially because they won it in a blowout and partially because it was the second time in three years. Nothing. Zero buzz at all. I mean, I, I watched almost all of their games, and I, I can't even tell you who the MVP was. I cannot tell you. And I, I mean, I, similarly, you know, uh, in the NCAA tournament, the biggest upset in the history of the tournament occurred when uh, with the uh, Baltimore County, Maryland, Baltimore County, right? They beat a number uh, one seed. First time a 16 seed's ever beaten number one. That was supposed to be the biggest thing ever, his biggest upset in the history of the tournament. They actually, afterwards, one of the, the players actually said, we just wanted to be uh, in the, uh, the one shining moment video, which they play at the end of the NCAA basketball tournament, which they've completely butchered now because now, like everything else, it's one sec, literally one second cuts and short attention span theater. It's, it's unwatchable. But... But just using this as an example, that game should have like changed their lives. They should be famous, at least within basketball forever. Yeah, they made the One Shining Moment video for two seconds. For two seconds. Literally two seconds. Nothing matters anymore. There's no impact. Nothing creates an indelible memory. And that has... That actually has a massive impact in the long run. I, I am becoming more and more convinced, and this happens is, is, is both in politics but also in sports. I am convinced that sports is in big trouble in the long run because at, even though in the short run they all have increased their profit margins by micro uh, marketing, focusing on squeezing all the juice out of their demo, They've done a much better job of that, largely because of television and internet, being able to focus on their target demo. But when you only focus on your target demo, eventually, over time, that demo will atrophy. And I think baseball is seeing it. The baseball attendance numbers this year so far are horrendous, partially because of the weather. By the way, what happened to global warming? Can somebody tell me what happened to global warming, please? Today, the Green Bay Packers had to delay their, their spring training because of a blizzard in Green Bay, Wisconsin. <laughs> Baseball games are getting canceled all over the place, not because of rain, because of cold. And oh, by the way, here in California, Yosemite Valley, which it's important to point out, eight to 10,000 years ago was filled with a glacier way before man was around to melt it. The, the glacier has melted eight to 10,000 years ago with, with no global warming. 
but we were told we're in a massive drought. Yosemite Valley was underwater last week. And, the, and everywhere I go in Southern California is green. I thought we were in a perpetual drought now, but I, I digress again. I keep digressing in this hour. The reality is that uh, I, I don't believe in global warming, not man-made global warming. And I and it's and it's funny to me that the other side always says, oh, no, you're talking about weather, not climate. Now, yeah, uh, when it's reversed, you hypocrites always talk about weather. If it was 85 degrees... <laughs> In Wisconsin today, people would be talking about, oh, global warming. It's amazing how it only works in one direction. Uh, last thing uh, tomorrow is tax day, and I'll probably be writing about this for Mediate uh, because I will never get over Donald Trump not being forced to release his taxes, even after he promised that he would. It, it is, it is, there's no better or worse example or proof of the utter impotence of the news media that they could not force Donald Trump a guy whose entire campaign for president was based upon his alleged business career to release their his, to release his taxes even after he became president and had promised to do so simply because he doesn't want to providing this bullshit excuse about him uh you know being <laughs> under audit which is total garbage there's every which way it's a garbage excuse and it's been proven to be a garbage excuse. And yet there's absolutely no pressure. And the conservative media just sits there and does nothing about it. Can you imagine if Hillary Clinton tried to do the same thing with her tax returns, whether she promised to release them or not? They would never, ever, ever, ever allow it. But, you know, we live in the age of hypocrisy, unfortunately. Except on the World According to Zig podcast. It's the only the only place from a conservative perspective you're going to get full truth and honesty. And uh, we provide three hours of it this week. I want you to make sure that you check out hour number two, our exclusive interview with a guy who blows up a $7 million accuser in the Penn State uh, Sandusky case. And hour number three, a special Ask John Anything about our scheduled Newsweek cover story on the Penn State quote-unquote scandal that was spiked at the last moment. Lots of great questions there. As always, I really only ask two things of you. Make sure you share this via Twitter, Facebook, other social media, word of mouth, what have you. And number two, if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, do yourself a favor and pay attention to this important message. My name's John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah, they're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh, no wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well... <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mmm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.